0: It's good to be here with all of you today. Um, I have on the screen here the passages under consideration in 1 Peter chapter 3 and beginning there in verse 1. And you might remember that about four years ago I taught on these passages, but I just thought today especially, as today is Mother's Day, that these would be passages that would be helpful to us, encouraging to us, as we've given our lesson a title, and that is A Godly Wife and mother, Our passages are found in 1 Peter chapter 3, and as we begin in verse 1, we will read. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. When they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear, do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, Or putting on a fine apparel, but rather let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. May I just say that the two great decisions that we have to make in life that are the most important decisions we will ever make. Number one is our decision to obey the gospel and become a Christian. There's no greater decision that we will ever make. But the second great decision that will determine so many things in our life, especially our happiness, is who we're going to marry. And if you as a man find the right woman that is a godly wife and godly mother, you are extremely blessed. So valuable, a godly wife and mother. I want to talk about these passages for just a little while. But first of all, as we go to verse 1. Verse 1. Wives, likewise be submissive to your own husbands. A little bit of background here. When Peter begins with the word likewise, what he's talking about is a continuation from what he just said. In the second chapter, Peter said to be submissive to civil authorities. He also said, masters, be submissive to your Or, servants, be submissive to your masters. So, what he's saying here is likewise be submissive to your own husbands, and these are talking about wives. You know, I have to make a point here. This passage is not talking about somebody that marries somebody that's not a Christian. The background is this there are two people that are married and they hear the gospel. The wife obeys the gospel, becomes a faithful child of God, but the husband has not done so. So what Peter's talking about is, he's talking about what should your relationship be and what are your duties as those wives. He says, wives in this category, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands. Now, I got to say, sometimes people think that submission is an act of weakness. Sometimes people even say this, putting somebody in their place. There is nothing more unscriptural than the interpretation of a woman being in submission or subjection. There is nothing more unscriptural than interpreting it like this, that the woman is to get in her place. That is not found in the Bible. In fact, this word submission is found in the King James Version as subjection. It is this Greek word here, and it means to arrange under or to subordinate. Now, here's where it's an act of strength. It's a willful act. Now, I'm going to tell you something. Jesus thought it not robbery to be counted equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. There's no greater example than Jesus who made the willful act of submission to God and God's plan in the scheme of redemption. Jesus was the strongest man that ever lived, not weak at all. He submitted himself. What else did Jesus do? He made himself to be for a time a little lower than the angels so that he could die. And all that means is this. It didn't mean that the angels were greater than Jesus. It meant that the angels were ones who could not die. So therefore, he made himself lower than the angels like a human being because we can die. That was a willful act of strength. It's the same kind of connotation about wives being in submission to their husbands. It is a willful act Peter's teaching is in perfect accord with Paul's instructions in Ephesians chapter 5. Listen to this. Wives, submit yourself to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. One more passage, Colossians chapter 3, and beginning in verse 18. Wives, submit yourself to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wife and do not be bitter toward them. You know, this is God's plan. I heard somebody say one time, Yeah, I know it says all that. But times have changed and I really think God wants us to use our heads. You know, that's not found in the Bible. If God said for me to do something, or any of us to do something it really doesn't matter what we think about it we might think that by way of our own wisdom and our own human reasoning we might think that it's a better idea to do something else that's not the point the point is it's about what god wants and what god said is in the structure of this marriage relationship that a woman would be submissive to their own husband, that a husband would love his wife as Christ also loved the church. It's a willful act. Therefore, it's nothing of inferiority. It's an act of courage, obedience, and strength. Have you ever considered that, that the woman's role is a position of courage, obedience, and strength? Absolutely so. Even if the husband is not a Christian. First Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 2. Paul gave the physical side or the physical reasons. He said, nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. Now, Peter is now giving reasons on the spiritual level. And here they are. Here's the reasons on the spiritual level. That even if some do not obey the word. Very important here. Okay? The word obey is a word that describes, as Thayer says, somebody that absolutely will not be subjected to what is said. In other words, here's somebody that hears the word of God. They hear what the Bible says. And by the way, that's the gospel. But they absolutely will not submit to it. That's what he's saying. So here's the picture. You have a godly Christian woman. She's a faithful member of the Lord's church. You have a husband that wants absolutely nothing to do with it. In fact, when he heard the word of God, he has rejected it, at least for a time. But look at the power of a godly wife. Notice right here. In fact, one scholar said these husbands were obstinate, non-persuadable, They were the type that would not listen to reason. And Peter says this, Even if some do not obey the word, they, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives. Now, we have to make a couple points here about what has the power to save. Peter's not saying that a woman has the power to save. Because you know what? Nobody in the world has the power to save. We can be an influence on people. But nothing in the world has the power to save except the gospel. Paul said in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile or the Greek, as the King James says. So in that, we understand the word of God, only the word of God has the power to save. But look at the power of a godly life of his wife. He heard the word of God at one point wants nothing to do with it, but he may be won by the conduct of their wife without her saying a word. That's what that means. Now, I'm going to tell you, when you look at the King James Version on this passage, it says this, that even if some do not obey the word, they without the word may be won by the conduct of their wives. And it seems a little confusing. But what he's talking about is this, not obeying the word of God, but they will in the future perhaps, without the woman saying a word, may be persuaded to hear the gospel again and obey it down the line. Because the gospel is the only thing that has the power to save. What we're saying is this, The silent but powerful persuasion of a believing behavior has the power to do great things. One man said one time that godly conduct is more powerful than persistent speech. Now, that brings us to verse 2. When they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. You know, this word uh, observe is in the King James. It says, behold, and it's only found in the epistle of Peter. It's only found in first Peter. And it's found in two places. It's found right here. And it's also found, and I'll read you the passage in first Peter chapter two and verse 12. Listen to this, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles. That when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. What a powerful passage that even people that would criticize you and speak evil of you, you live your life in such a way that they'll be ashamed when they see how you live. It'll make everything that they're saying by way of an evildoer false. And what else? They may even have an opportunity to observe you, therefore glorify God in the day of visitation. What does it mean in the day of visitation? Well, if you look back into the Old Testament, you find the day of visitation oftentimes as when God came in judgment. But here in that passage and found in the New Testament, it's talking about the offer of salvation. So notice this. You live your life in such a way that when people in the world observe your life, they will be ashamed that would falsely accuse you absolutely as an evildoer. But what else? It will have the power or the influence that when they hear the word of God, the day of visitation, they'll obey it and become a Christian. Now, that's the same thing as the wife. But what are they going to observe, Those husbands? First of all, their chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Chaste means pure from fault, immaculate. And by the way, that doesn't mean perfect. It doesn't mean perfect. Being immaculate means free from accusation. So what he's saying is this. When your husbands continually observe your chaste or pure from fault or or immaculate conduct, it will have that kind of power. Fear, Thayer says, is the term of reverence and respect. So, in conclusion of that thought, the immaculate life manifested by godly living will be seen by the unbelieving partner who otherwise would never see the word of God. But the word of God is the only thing that has the power to save. But the godly life of a Christian spouse can lead the unbeliever to respond and listen to the gospel and obey it in the future. All right, all of that is now the foundational proportion in general of our lesson. But now we go to verse 3. And sometimes verse 3 is very much misunderstood. So let's begin. Verse 3. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. The Christian wife is not to depend on outward adornment to win her husband to Christ. Her adornment rises from within, it comes from what is on the inside. And by the way, what you are in every way on the inside is what you will be on the outside. In every way. Sometimes people say, Yeah, I know he does all this stuff, but he has a really good heart. Really? If you're good on the inside, it'll manifest itself as good on the outside. You can't say, I am one way when really I'm not. And you can't separate your behavior and your choices and your actions from what you are on the inside. They go hand in hand. So what he's saying is this. You wives, do not let the adornment be merely outward. It's what is on the inside. So, three distinct areas now. Here they are. The way she wears her hair, the jewelry she selects, and the apparel that she puts on. Now, here it says, the adorn merely outward arranging of the hair. But we also find that that word is to plate or be interwoven or braiding, according to the King James Version. And by the way, this doesn't mean that a girl cannot braid her hair. It's not what that means at all. In fact, I used to say this when Taylor was little. Uh, whenever she would have some activity and need to have her hair braided, I would do it. I could, why well, get it tight. You know, when you grew up braiding horses' tails, you figure out how to do that. That's how I learned how to do that. Braid a tail, you can braid some hair. And I was good at it because I got it real tight, real tight braids. Is that what that's talking about? Is it forbidden for a woman to braid her hair? Absolutely not. Let's notice what it actually means. According to the King James Version, it is called plating or brooding, uh, broidering the hair. Now, in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2 and beginning in verse 9, Paul said this In like manner also that the woman adorned themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderation. Not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but which is proper for women professing godliness. Now, evidently, Paul is giving insight into the extravagant excesses among women in the first century Roman Empire. Notice what Mr. Vincent said, and I quote, The attendants will vote on the dressing of the hair as if a question of reputation or of life at stake. So great is the trouble she takes in quest of beauty. With so many tears does she load. I tried to figure out what that looked like. With so many tears does she load. With so many continuous stories does she build up on high her head. She is as tall as Andromache in front, which, by the way, was the Greek mythology, the wife of Hector captured by the Greeks at the the fall of Troy. In the front, behind she's shorter, you would think her another person. That's somebody that went out of their way to do something by way of a personal outward look. Clement of Alexandria said this, First century women were given to great extremes in braiding and plaiting their hair. Gold and silver were intertwined and twisted within the strands with pearls. Now, this is what Peter and Paul is condemning. Not by braiding the hair. What's he talking about? He's talking about this. He's talking about stacking the hair mile high with all of this show. And then interweaving pearl and gold and all of that in it. An outward show. In other words, don't try to win your husband to Christ by the outward show. And I want to make a side point here. This is talking about, in context, somebody that's a Christian trying to convert their non-converted spouse. But there's a secondary thought here, is there not? If you're a young lady, don't try to attract a young boy by doing the same things. Let it be on the inward side. And we're going to get more to that in just a minute. But never let it be from an outward show. Paul says, or Peter says, don't do that. Don't let it be that which is on the outside. Now, the wearing of gold... Wearing is to put around or hang down, according to Mr. Thayer. Now, it seems as though, in passing by, that there is a general uh, prohibition to wearing gold. But that's not the case. That's not the context in the Greek text at all. Wearing gold. It was the adornment of the golden ornaments that were placed around the head or the body. And the Greek text really is talking about that. It's talking about lavish, conspicuous displays of jewelry. The wearing of jewelry is not forbidden for a Christian woman. But gaudy, elaborate displays of expensive jewelry is the same thing as the artificial manner of wearing the hair. And then he says this. So don't do that. Don't let it be by way of arranging the hair or wearing gold. But then he says this or putting on of fine apparel. The Greek uses two words for clothing. One word is clothing to protect and cover the body. That's not the word here in this passage. The other is a word that describes clothing that is ornate. It's decorative with complex patterns or fancy and so on and so forth. The putting on of apparel is not to be understood unconditionally prohibited, just like braiding the hair or wearing gold. They're not unconditionally prohibitive. So the point is this. Christian women are not to depend on outward adornment to win their husbands and their adornment must come from the Christian heart. And that brings us to verse four. Here it is. This is how we should do so. But let it be the hidden person of the heart. Now, what's the heart? Sometimes in the Bible, heart refers to your deep feelings. Like when you would say, for example, I love you with all of my heart. Or when Paul was writing to Philemon and wanted Philemon to forgive Onesimus, he says, this is my whole heart. In other words, that's the deepest part of my feelings. That's not the word heart here. The word heart in this passage is talking about intelligence, reason, and will. So let it be from the intelligence, reason, and will. The hidden man of the heart. 1 Corinthians 4.16 Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day by the word of God. So the inner man of the heart is what is under consideration. In other words... As Christians, a uh, Christian's clothing should be consistent with the purity and beauty of the Lord who dwells in his or her heart. I want to say something to you now. To the young ladies. And by the way, the end of this little lesson is my favorite part. Because we're going to talk about how valuable our precious daughters are. That's my favorite part of this whole thing. Okay? Can't wait to get there. But I want to say something to the young ladies right now. If you have to dress a certain way to attract a boy, he ain't for you. We don't need him. He ain't worthy. And if you feel like you want to do that to attract a boy, a little problem with the heart. We don't want to do that. We want to get our heart right. If a boy cannot look at you and see the inner beauty that you are as a child of God, we don't need him around. He ain't for us. And remember this. Remember this. The hidden man of the heart, what's on the inside, again, will manifest itself on the outside. And may I also say this. If we're having trouble with being modest, fitting in. And I want to say this too. Listen. Listen. I'm almost 55 years old. It hadn't been that long ago that I was a young person too. And when I was a young person, I know how peer pressures come down and you want to fit in. And sometimes you feel alienated and ostracized because you don't feel like you fit in. I get it. It's sometimes hard to stand and be the outsider, right? I get it. But I'm going to tell you something, folks. If we're having struggles with that, Because there is a way to dress that's worldly. There's a way to dress that's immodest. And if we do that and we struggle with that, it's because we're struggling with the heart. Got to fix it on the inside. And a precious godly woman is what's important. And may I say this too? Don't ever think you have to settle or compromise. Oh, I better compromise or I'm never going to get a spouse. No. Be the Christian you should be. Be the best person that you could be. Let Jesus come forth in your life and others see it. And somewhere along the line. You may find somebody that's worthy of you. I got to tell you, um, I was going to say this at the wedding when Taylor and Wade got married, but I started bawling. I couldn't have done it. I, would, I, I wouldn't have. I cut it out. She doesn't even know this, but I, I cut it out. And I was going to say that when Taylor was born, I remember, I remember when she came out and I got to go into the NICU unit with her. And I remember I couldn't stop crying. I was so thankful that I had a little girl. And I'm going to tell you something. As a dad, I don't, I don't know of a greater gift than have a daughter. I just don't. <laughs> Incredible. And I now have a little girl. And I thought, man, there's nobody in this world going to be worthy of that little girl. Nobody. And then when Wade came along, I started praying for it. Because that's the right kind of man. That'll see my daughter to understand, hey, I loved her first. And God loves her too. And Jesus loves her too. And a man that is willing to see those things, that's what's important. They are worthy of their affection, their love. And they're worthy of having those godly women for their wife. Don't ever settle. Don't ever, ever settle. A Christian's clothing should be consistent with the purity and beauty of the Lord who dwells in their heart. Now, I want to say this now. What is the importance of a wife or the importance of the role of a mother and a wife? How important is that that we bring up our daughters to aspire to fulfill that role? And I got to tell you, we spend a lot of time, don't we? We, we, need to, we need to bring up young boys that they'll be teachers in the church. Is that true? Yeah. Well, we need some evangelists. We need some preachers. We got to train those guys to be preachers. Is that true? Yeah. We need to get those guys that want to be elders and deacons in the Lord's church. Is that important? Absolutely. You've heard my series on that. And I said that a person that's going to be a deacon or an elder someday has to purpose in their mind way in advance when they're young to be a godly person and pursue it. Is all that true? Yes, it is. We spend a lot of time talking about the young men. Because of this passage right here. Psalm 144 and 12. That our sons may be as plants grown up in their youth. Is that true? Absolutely true. Absolutely true. In the Hebrew, by the way, you know what it says in the Hebrew? It says they'll be grown large in their youth. The meaning, the direct meaning of that is they'll become stout, strong, strong and vigorous and well-formed even early in life. One scholar said it like this. He offered this paraphrase. I love this. Make our sons in their prime be like sturdy oaks. In other words, not going out and sowing their wild oats as it were, but being strong in the Lord in their youth. You know, I'm going to tell you something. I don't know anybody, including me, I don't know anybody that reflects back on their youth without at least a little bit of regret. Right? I mean, if you can say that you look back on your youth with no regret, more power to you. I can't. I haven't made every decision just right. So is it important that we understand this? Absolutely. We need those young men to grow up as plants grown up in their youth, be strong oak trees. Absolutely. We need to do that. That's true. But the second part is what I love so much. One translation renders it like this look at this. Our daughters will be like carved columns, shapely as those of the temple. The New English version adds this crucial picture. Look at this. It says, our daughters will be like corner pillars carved like those in a palace. Before I go any further, let me ask you something. Young ladies, daughters, do you have even a clue as to how valuable you are? How necessary you are? Look, not only about the young boys, but what about this? Our daughters will be carved like carved columns shapely out of those of a temple. Our daughters will be like corner pillars. And the King James, you know what it says? they will be corner stones. That's pretty important, isn't it? You know, that word's been used too. That cornerstone word's been used again with the Lord. When you talk about the church, the kingdom, and Jesus is the chief corner stone. Same language about the home. Cornerstones. I want to read you something. Bear with me while I read it all. Listen to this. Listen to what was being described by way of Bible palaces back in those days. Listen to this. In Bible times, palaces contained a number of large columns. They were both decorative and weight-bearing. The most expensive columns were cut from marble. They were highly polished and carefully put in place. The most important of those columns were placed at the intersection of two or more walls. These corner columns were crucial because they held everything together. The master craftsman would take extra time choosing the best materials, working overtime to produce a stone that's cut to exact measurements and polished to a high degree of brilliance. If they were cut wrong or placed wrong, the entire building would be unsound. But when properly placed, they became the foundation and connecting point for everything else. Don't be deceived, though, by the emphasis on beauty and grace. These columns were not mere ornaments added to please the eye. They were corner pillars that held the palace together. And folks, such is the image of godly daughters." They're like highly polished, carefully chosen, perfectly placed corner columns that hold together the palace where the king dwells. Such a noble goal for our daughters to raise a polished corner pillar that will one day hold her family together with strength and joy and love and laughter. Having a contagious faith in Jesus Christ, yes, as I've stated, God's God's best gift to any man is a godly woman of strength and beauty. Her worth is far more above rubies. Such a woman is truly God's masterpiece. And I like what one man said one time about the family. He said, the father is the head of the home. But the mother is the heart. And the children are the hope. The structure in God's eyes of how it should be. Make no mistake about it, young ladies. When you grow up, you don't have a role that is inferior. You just have a different one, that's all. And you're not inferior in any way, shape, or form. In fact, do you realize how valuable you are? I'm going to tell you right now. Men can't do anything to their maximum capacity without the right woman in their corner. can't happen. You know the old saying, behind every good man is a good woman? Oh, that is so true. So true. So we need to raise our daughters to be those kind of women. Let it be the inner part of the heart that attracts others. And not only did Peter say you can win your unbelieving spouse, or even that's the kind of person that you'll attract one day for you as you are the right woman, the godly woman in your home. I'm finished. This morning, thank you for your kind listening to what we had to consider And I hope something was said that was edifying to you in some way, encouraging to you in some way. A godly wife and mother. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information, or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at...